0: what's going on everyone welcome to the zoe church podcast zoe is a church based out of los angeles california and uh, we believe in the message of jesus the love of jesus and the goodness of god and today you are in for a treat as you hear from one of our guests pastor levi Lusco, as he continues our series part two of how to love check this out And i'm excited that, that we get to speak into this how to love series And I don't know if you're just coming in today, but uh, your church, your pastors, they love you so much to prioritize what is going to impact every single area of your life, and that is your love life, Uh, enough to have it be something that uh, they would dedicate this time to help us understand our plans for, for God's uh, heart for our love lives and our relationships and our marriages. And uh, the series has been amazing so far, has it not? It's been so good. And today we continue. Tonight, different message, by the way, at the 6 p.m., I'm going to be talking more about sex and God's plan, His heart for sex. I wrote a whole book about that uh, that's available, I think, as well here called Swipe Right. Uh, and we're, the, by the way, the right swipe is not the one that you think it is. It is, it is up. We want to swipe up. We've got to live up in this. It's a left-right world, but we've got to look up so we can live right. Amen? So we're going to talk about that tonight a little bit. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about marriage. So just so I understand what we're dealing with here, Zoe Online, West Campus, and those who I can see here, uh, show me, show of hands, who's married today? Who's married today? Okay? And who wants to be? Who wants to be married at some point in your life? Amen, amen, amen. Okay, but Keep those up. Look around. This, this is what you're working with, okay? Don't be ashamed or afraid to do that at all. Less than 2% of Americans say they met their spouse in church. Less than 2%. And that number has been going down every single year. In fact, um, the only number, of course, that continues to rise is when people say, how do you meet that person you married? You can guess is online. Uh, but how's that working out for us? Pew Research did a massive study in 2019 and they found that most people in America say dating is not going well, and the amount of options hasn't helped. Wow. Three out of four Americans say that they find it difficult to find someone to date. Wow. Now, we thought it would help to have a billion options, right? Because it used to be you were going to marry someone who was probably from your town. It used to be you were going to marry someone, a friend would introduce you to them, you'd meet them in church, you'd meet them at the workplace, they, you grew up around them, right? Uh, but now we're not limited by our geographic locale. We can meet someone from Istanbul. We can meet someone from we're from Boston. We're, we're, are, we have more options than we've ever had. And yet there seems to be more despair than, than there has ever been when it comes to really. Maybe we don't need something new and improved. Maybe we need something tried and true. Maybe Coke is fine just the way it is. Maybe we don't need to tamper with the recipe at all. And that's what we find in God's word. His plans for how to approach love and sex and dating. And as we're going to talk about today, marriage. If this blesses you at all, my wife Jenny and I have released a resource that we hope would encourage you. We brought some of them as well. It's called The Marriage Devotional, 52 Days to Strengthen the Soul of Your Marriage. And we wrote this honestly selfishly because we were just pissed we could never find any good marriage devos. uh, Because we felt like the couples were not... Honest when we read them. It's like, oh, we just were prancing through the meadows reciting, you know, the, the entire book of the Bible from memory. And it's like, my wife and I are like, we got issues, man. Uh, my daughter Daisy's in the worship experience here. She's, uh, she's 12. She, when she was nine, and we only remember this because we write stuff down, our kids say, just so we have material for the, the speeches at their weddings, right? The, the funny thing, like my daughter to Clover, Clover, Clover used to call hypocrites hippocramps. And so whenever she was in the reading Bible study, she was so confused, like, why was the hippocramp, uh, you know, so anyhow. So, so Daisy, uh, apparently she and Clover had had an argument at one point, and we had said, girls, you, you, you just fight a lot because you're so different. Uh, but, th- but those same differences also make you powerful, right? And, and opposites, they, they attract. And then as an example, we said, that's why your mom and I get along so well, because we're so different. And Daisy, deadpan response says, you and mom get along. So we need a devotional. Right? We, we need to read a devotional. But we, we, want, we wanted one that was realistic and one that actually would, 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 would be honest about the problems but point us to God's word. And so that's what we put together, hopefully a tool that can help married couples to stay synced up spiritually. And there's application questions. There discussion questions. There's, uh, there's, there's space for you to doodle and write love notes to each other. So that hopefully would, would help you uh, if you're married. But, but if you have a Bible, Psalm 128. We want to talk today about the secret to a uh, fruitful marriage, the secret to what is the secret to a fruitful marriage. And just a moment ago, we were singing a song and that song was Christ is my firm foundation. Cody Carnes, thank you for the song. Right. Amazing. My, my he connects us to the ground. He gives us strength in, in, in storms. And and that, of course, is a is a beautiful uh, re of Matthew chapter seven which is where Jesus said there were two men. One built his house on sand. One built his house on, on the rock. And they looked the same. I mean, if you looked at the curb appeal for both, very impressive, right? Amazing. I like, I like them both. They're beautiful. But the house that was built on sand had no foundation. So even though it looked good and was hotly desired by everybody, uh, it, it did not have a good foundation. And so when the storm came, it was destroyed. Great was its fall, the Bible says, And there's a lot of people we would be tempted to be jealous of today, but we will not want. We would not want to experience what they will experience when when the inevitable crisis comes, when inevitable difficulty comes, and hardship comes. And the other man built his house on the rock, and that man faced hardship. That family faced hardship, but it was still standing. The waves couldn't destroy it. The wind couldn't knock it down because it was because of what it was built upon. And so the, the people who, who love God and don't love God are both going to experience hardship. But we have to ask the question, what, what are we building our life on? That's Matthew 7. What a wonderful truth of the gospel. But many people believe that that was inspired by a song Jesus sang in the book of Psalms. And you have to picture Jesus uh, with his disciples walking. That's why I think a lot of us love The Chosen, this new portrayal of the story of Jesus that Dallas Jenkins has given to us. Because it shows the in-between moments. It's not just the sermons. It's also Jesus with his disciples wearing backpacks. I love it. I told Dallas, I said, I love that you gave us Jesus with a backpack. You showed us Jesus brushing his teeth, right? He was a dude. He was a normal person yet without sin. And that's why he was so relatable and so liked by people. And so him and the disciples, you just picture them walking. Because we read in the Bible, like, oh, he went from Galilee to Capernaum, Capernaum. That's like a 12-mile walk, and he did not have access to an Uber, right? So they walked. And while they walked, they talked. And while they walked, they sang. And there were specific songs, we read them in the Bible called the Book of Psalms, there were songs they would sing, and the memorization of these songs was a theological tool to shape and form character. We have to be really careful what we allow ourselves to memorize. And many of us today, we know more Drake lyrics than we do Bible verses. And when we memorize, that's one of the reasons worship and singing is so powerful, It's not just what you're giving to God, praise, or what you're receiving from God, the ability to become like him because you become like whatever you worship. Be very careful. Whatever you allow to be, the first thing you think about in the morning, the last thing you think about, I'm looking at you, Instagram, before you go to sleep. We are shaped by these things that we are are, are absorbed by. our, Our interest goes to your God. Everyone has a God, by the way. There's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone has a master passion. Everyone has a controlling interest. Everybody has something they lift up above everything else. And so the reason we come and sing to God is not just for what we give to him or what we receive from him. It's also the ability to be shaped and formed by these words, shaped and formed by these ideas. So the mistake is to roll into church treating the worship songs like it's the preview before the movie, a buffer to get to your seat before the sermon starts. Someone say, ouch. Ouch. Because we're missing out on the opportunity to allow our minds to be transformed by God's word. And we have to always ask the question, where do the thoughts that we think about these subjects come from? How do we think about these things? That determines how we will treat them. The point is, you will never be able to live right or love right if you don't think right. And when it comes to marriage, we need to have our thoughts shaped by God's word. So what would God's word tell us about the subject of marriage and specifically how to have a marriage life and a home life that can handle catastrophe? Because I will tell you, most marriages don't endure significant crisis, which is usually a way of revealing the house was not built on the solid foundation, not built on the rock and the half of the marriage vows that we end up facing is the half we were not paying attention to when we said it better or worse oh it's going to be better richer or poorer oh it's going to be so wonderful when we're rich right sickness and in health these things there's two sides to that we're committing through both of those so why is it most marriages don't face the other half of the marriage vows well a lot of times we're not built on the right thing according to jesus because we build on sand, we build on emotion, we build on feelings, we, build, we, have, we have thoughts formed by, by culture. And so what do we need? We need to sing the songs that inspire the, the truth. And Jesus would have sung Psalm 128 with his disciples all throughout his life, all throughout his upbringing. He would have sang them with his family. Think of Mary and Joseph teaching Jesus these songs. It's very touching. And then to think about him with the disciples singing these songs as they walked to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover or for whatever other party they were going to. It's beautiful. Okay, so Psalm 128, and I'm going to say it from memory because I want to tell you I'm saying memorizing scripture matters, and, and it's worth the work to do so. Otherwise, like, because let me tell you, work, 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 ain't going to help you in a crisis, all right? It's great, catchy, wonderful, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something different about the word of God. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Behold, your wife will get to be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your home. Your children like olive plants gathered around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. Yes, may you see the good of Jerusalem all your days. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What is God's heart for your home? He longs for the work that you want to see him to do in the world to begin in your house. Do you ever get paralyzed with just a feeling of overwhelmed? When you watch the news and you hear about that next crisis, that next school shooting, that next horrible thing, and you go, man, what what can be done about that? God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed by all the things that need to happen out there. He wants us to do what we can, focusing on what's under our own roof, what's in our own house. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say my whole sermon just boiled down to one kernel or one thought is this. The greatest thing that you can do for the world is to have a strong family. And the greatest thing you can do for your family is to have a strong marriage. And the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to have a strong soul. Drops mic, walks off the stage. That's the sermon in a sentence. So what can you do? Well, the, Psalms, the, the psalm, do you see this? The psalm that ends with peace upon Israel. What's, what's peace? Shalom. Israel doing well. Israel walking in wholeness. Jerusalem being visited with peace, right? All these great things we would say we want that to happen. We want God's shalom or God's wholeness or wellness to ring out. Sea to shining sea. If if that is to happen, where does it begin? The the first verse says, "Behold, thus shall it be with the man who fears the Lord." So if I want the world changed, that's downstream. Upstream is my own soul. So how's your soul today? And are you doing what you need to do to foster a soul that fears God? I'm telling you something. If you fear God and then you choose to find, to covenant with someone else who fears God, the two of you together fearing God are going to do great. Because what does it mean to fear God? It means to be so in awe of who he is and what he has done that all you ever want to do is what would please him the most. And where there, and that's that's different, you'll agree with me, then he he's he, he goes to church. That's different than yeah, he's a believer, right? Because a lot of us settle. We 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 love God, we want to follow God, we're pursuing God with our whole heart. I fear God, but then I turn from that. And settle for someone who does not fear God, love God, radically want to pursue Jesus. But let me ask you this question. Why, if I'm pursuing him, would I stop pursuing him to pursue them? Because even if you do get them, you're going to have to convince them then to come back and pursue God. So we're not talking about uh, he 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 believes in God. He believes there's a God. So do the demons. And they tremble. So we're not talking about finding someone who calls themselves a Christian, but someone who's passionately following after Jesus Christ. My wife Jenny and I, we both were so on fire for God, and we began to notice each other as we were following God. And so here's, here's the process of our kind of courtship and dating and all of that engagement. It's just like, I'm running after God, you're running after God. Girl, you want to run after God together? And that's been the story. That's, what, that's the story that you want. And so, behold, shall a person be who fears God. That's where it all begins. Charles Spurgeon called the fear of God the cornerstone of all blessing. And he said there just sort of seems to be this aura of God's favor that surrounds a soul that fears God. That's why Augustine said, fear God, love God, and then do whatever you want. Because if you love God like that, the things that you're going to want to do are going to be the things that he wants for you. Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So as you're running hard after Jesus, pursuing Jesus, living a life where he matters and his opinion and his word over your life matters more than anything else, everything else is sort of just going to take care of itself. Like Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean on your own understanding. Where is there, Where has that ever gotten anybody? But in all your ways, acknowledge Him, fear Him, and what will He do? He will make your paths straight. All right. So, so we start. Does, what's really ultimate? The secret of a fruitful marriage. It starts with a soul that fears God, and what will the outcome of that be? Well, He says this man will experience in the heart of his home a fruitful vine, his wife or his marriage. You're going you're gonna to experience the beauty of a marriage that's sort of like a vine. Now, when we think about a vine, and of course we're talking about a vine that produces grapes and the grapes turn into wine, we're talking about marriage then being something that can be both medicine and a source of rejoicing. For in scripture, we find both being a picture of what wine represents. In the story of the Good Samaritan, where the man fell among thieves and the Samaritan was willing to help him and heal him where the religious people did not. The Bible says that he healed the man with wine for his wounds. Think one of those movies where there's a, a battlefield and someone's shot and, and you don't have anything to clean it with. So what do they do? They pour alcohol over it because there's like an antiseptic quality to it. And so that's this picture of what wine can do. So, so your marriage is meant to be a healing power to the world. People coming into your house, people sitting at your table. Being like Jesus is to invite the sinner to your table. Be- being like Jesus is to see your, listen to me very carefully. I don't care if you live in the smallest apartment studio. If you have a flimsy folding card table, that is an absolute powerhouse tool in the hands of God to extend the kingdom of God. Hospitality, like romance, works at any budget. So to say, I'll be hospitable once I can afford to have 12 people at my oak dining room table. That might be. But there's a lot of people who are not romantic in their love life, and they have a lot of money. It starts with the small things. My wife and I's first dates, are you kidding me? We could hardly afford the $1.44 hot dog and Coke combo at Costco. And forget about the churro, right? That just wasn't happening. It wasn't in the cards. Some date nights, we just wander and do the, 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 the samples. I mean, this, it was just a thing, Right? <laughs> But, but it's a heart that says we're going to prioritize. This is like saying I'm going to be generous when I have a lot of money. You will be exactly as faithful with a million dollars as you are with a hundred. And so we start small. And so we do these small things. And so to see hospitality, to see all these things in, as the heartbeat of God for your home, that's a part of the, the wine that's going to be produced. That's not only a, a source of medicine, but also a, source, a, a symbol of celebration. That kingdom party that God wants his church to be, that is what we feel as zoe, Right? even though we don't know how to describe it as that's the Holy Spirit working in that place. There's just, there's, there seems to be this sense of something great is happening, something good's about Why did Jesus do his very first miracle at a wedding where he made sure the wine that had run out was replenished and then turned up to 10 as the best wine anybody had ever had? That's a picture of the kingdom. Come on, there's medicine for your wounds. There's a source of celebration and joy. The wine of this world always runs out but not the wine that Jesus has. He so overdid it, making more wine than anybody could ever possibly drink in that party. And that's what he offers. And he wants to use your wedding, your marriage to serve up that wine to a world that is desperate for what he has to offer and doesn't even know it, is looking for that hope, but in all the wrong places. So if our marriage is then are like a vine, then what do we need to do? We need to take care of them like a vine. So I want to give you five C's that will help you married people, and those of you who are going to be married one day, to understand how to properly steward your vine so that it stays fine all the time. All right? And the first is cultivation. A vine must be cultivated. It must be cared for. It must be tenderly and gingerly watched over. And I love the intimacy of this. And literally, the technical term for taking care of a vine is called husbandry. How wonderful is that? And you, you, you think about a vine. It needs to be pruned. It needs to be watered. It needs to be defended against insects and bugs and blight. It needs to be stewarded over and positioned very carefully. When you go to these vineyards, you find out that they, like, they put a lot of energy and investment into answering one simple question. What does this vine need? What does this vine need? They hire companies literally started by NASA employees to send airplanes up with thermal imaging to say, how does, how does the water on this side of that hill differ from over here? And, and that one I listened to one, I mean, I went down a dark place for you, Zoe, what, in researching this message. And one guy said, I don't even think about my vineyard as a vineyard. I think about it as blocks because the need over here might be different than over there. And, the chain, and every year, the temperature is different. And so when frost comes and, and what it needs in the season. So, so, so what, if, what if you approach your marriage that way? And asking the question, what does my spouse need? What do they need from me? What are their needs that are not getting met? And if you're really brave to ask them the question without getting defensive or triggered. And say, what do you need that I'm not doing? What could I do better? How could I better serve you? And we're asking that in all the different ways. Why? So that we can stay second C word. It's going to be like my report card in high school today. All C's. All right. I wish. <laughs> so that we can stay connected. The, what's the goal? Connection. That's what Jesus said. John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you would uh, grow fruit, which God wants you to, you must remain connected. Connectivity Constantly is the pursuit if you're going to have grapes. There's a branch, and that's what the grapes grow on, and there's a main vine, which is the main trunk. That's the thing that's going across the wire when you go to Napa, right? And so the branch can't get connected by Bluetooth. You know what I'm saying? It's got to stay put, it's got to remain there. And so if it's that way in your relationship with God, it also needs to be that way in your relationship with your spouse. How are we staying connected? And how's the union doing? How's that bond doing? It's not just when it comes to, you know, we, we live in the same house. You can end up being basically roommates in marriage. And if, and, and by the way, those of you who say, I'm going to get married because uh, I'm just lonely. There's a lot of lonely married people out there. And the quest is to remain connected in marriage. And what does that require? That requires Vulnerability vulnerability, where you're being vulnerable, where you're taking the armor down, where you're not being defensive, right? And we're not just trying to stay one flesh physically through the sexual union. We're trying to remain one as a, as a married couple when it comes to our emotions, our fears, our ideas, our dreams. And if one, one simple thing married people can do is Google uh, emotional vocabulary color wheel. And it's a whole, there's not just like four, it's not just mad, sad, happy, glad. You know what I'm saying? There's like, there's like 80 different emotions. And where you actually can, hey, this is actually what I'm feeling here. This is how that hurt me. This is the story I'm writing in my head when you did this. And, and when we can actually be at a place where we're opening up about what we're feeling and what we're, we're dreaming, we remain connected. And the goal is to continue to foster that over a lifetime. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He uh, got married at 58. Some of you know C.S. Lewis for his books like Mere Christianity or or The Weight of Glory, or of course the ever so popular Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, But he was a bachelor until 58. And at 58, he met this wonderful woman, Joy Gresham, and she had previously been married and her husband had divorced her and and they met because she was a big fan of C.S. Lewis's books. And so she had begun writing him like fan mail and then eventually moved to England. She was like a super stalker, actually, kind of if you think about it, (laughs) but it worked out for him. And, uh, And so they get married and he said, and I quote, I never thought I would experience in my 60s the happiness that passed me by in my 20s. Just I just want to say that to give hope I and mean, be like, oh, I feel like the, my, my maternal timer is ticking and I'm just I feel like I'm getting so old. Well, I'm just telling you, when that time comes, when God has his plan fully revealed, it can almost make up for the lost time. And so he experienced decades of joy, and they were only married four years before she died of cancer. But such a powerful, sweet union and just a source of blessing to both of them. And he says, and I quote, of this, I mean this is this is scintillating, all right? It's a hot to handle paragraph. This is steamy. He says, we feasted on love, every mode of it, solemn and merry, romantic and realistic. Sometimes our love was as dramatic as a thunderstorm. Other times it was as comfortable as putting on soft slippers. Homie could write, right? <laughs> he, and then this is the really, the like, raise my eyebrows up part. He says, no cranny of heart or body remained unsatisfied. C.S. Lewis? I don't even, I mean, I've been married 19 years. I don't know if I'm ready to say no cranny of body or heart has been unsatisfied. He says, she was my pupil, my teacher, my subject, my sovereign, my trusty comrade, my friend, my shipmate, my fellow soldier, my mistress, but at the same time, all that any man friend has ever been to me. That kind of connection is the goal, but to remain there takes constant work. That's why he said in Psalm 128, when you eat the labor of your hands, you will be satisfied. Men, if we would work as hard at our marriages as we do at our careers, that we would be able to enjoy and have something coming from the vine that is our marriage, our relationship with our spouse. It takes a connection. You have to fight for that. But if we do that, our vine, we will find this. Our vines will continue to climb as long as we give them trellis for them to grow on. That's our third C word. Vines climb. They never stop. They'll continue growing. But listen to me. That growth needs to be directed. And the potential is literally limitless. There is a vine in England that's 250 years old. It's in the Royal Hampton Garden in Surrey, England. And I have a picture of it here on the screen. It is unbelievable. It, this, this, by the way, this, this building, this greenhouse, is the same structure where the first pineapple was ever grown successfully in England. That's a reference from the book Swipe Right. Like, there's three people, but those of you are like, oh, wow, deep cut. I like it. Um, <laughs> I think the pineapple happens to be one of the best pictures of what sex is and, sadly, what sex can become if it's distorted in, in the whole world. But I don't have time for that. So you have to read the book Swipe Right to, to get that. Uh, but, but the vine keeps growing. I mean, this thing keeps growing. There are, there are branches on this vine that are 120 feet long. And the trunk of the main vine is 13 feet across. I mean, it's massive. And that's because its growth has been directed. I don't know if you've ever seen a wild uh, vineyard, a wild vine. It eventually, left to its own, just becomes a mush bush. Literally just a, a gnarled up. I mean, you'll get some grapes off it here and there. But it's nothing compared to what it can become. This is what God sees when he sees your marriage. If you keep putting the trellis of purpose and meaning in place. But listen, you, you can't have the marriage just be about the marriage. It just becomes an idol. Your spouse becomes an idol, right? The family can't become, the, the children cannot be the center. No one thing on earth is big enough to be that which your soul orbits around. You need a son. You need the sun to orbit around, the son of God. And that's why we need the church to be the trellis we keep growing along that keeps allowing there to be guy wires to to, to allow our vine to grow on something. That which Jesus said, I will build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is the only man-made thing that will continue to exist in eternity. It is that which that Jesus gave his life for and we ought to give ours for as well. That's why the text says, the Lord bless you out of Zion. Your wife's like a fruitful vine. Your kids, all the plants around the table. The Lord bless you out of Zion. Hebrews 12 tells us that's basically shorthand now for the church. All through the Old Testament, Zion was a picture of the city of Jerusalem. And it actually is the place where Jesus died on the cross. But Hebrews 12 says we've come to this living mountain, to Zion, to the church, the firstborn from the dead, this which Jesus has is, is caused us to be a part of. All of us living bricks assembled together to form a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And as we come together as the church, or or, or to put it another way, as we see ourselves participating in the church as the church, we then can continue to grow limitlessly in our marriages like God wanted to us. For our marriages don't become a functional God, but they're linked up to what God's doing in the world. And the results are honestly verified. A Harvard study called the, 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 the Human Flourishing Project, which took place over 14 years and examined 66,000 different marriage couples, found that you have as high as a 50% better chance of not getting divorced if you are actively a part of a church inside your marriage. If both, both of the couple are in the marriage, in the church, I mean, of course, you're you're getting to have the people around you to pray with you, to encourage you. You're under authority. You're being taught God's word. You have a purpose. You're you're pouring yourself and your, 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 your relationship with your family into something. You're partnering together with all sorts of other people to raise the little olive plant sitting around your table. Your vine can continue to climb, but it must be a part of God's design. And if we will continue to do this, we will have fruit that can be collected, our fifth point. Fruit will be collected. Our fourth point, rather. My numbers and adding, I got to see in math, my bad. Um, Fruit will be collected, and you'll be able to continue to taste and receive the blessing of the fruit. The fruit of friendship, the fruit of sanctification. Buyer beware on that one. (laughs) The way you get sanctified in marriage is you got to constantly see your selfishness exposed, and you got to die. That's the only easy way to say that. You continue to die to yourself. And as you do that, you will find in your spouse the encouragement to become more like Jesus, to repent again, and to continue to collaborate with them in all that God has planned for your relationship. And if that's daunting for you today, if you think about, man, oh, my marriage becoming a powerhouse for God's blessing, both to other people and to me, I feel like that's daunting. I feel like that's a long ways away from where we're at today. Let me just encourage you. How are you going to get there? Little by little. How do you get a bottle of wine? 736 grapes on average. So one grape at a time, you can get to the place where there's medicine and there's rejoicing. Your marriage does not have to be survived. It can be endured. And I'm telling you that from experience. We've been married, Jenny and I, 19 years and we've seen God bring five little olive plants into our life. We've seen one of them go home to be with Jesus in heaven. And we've, we've watched God uh, fulfill more than we could have ever dreamed in our wildest imaginations. But we've also seen suffering that we never saw coming. But in all of it, God has surprised us again and again by how good and how much gooder and how much goodest it can get as we continue to walk with him. You know, the world would have us to be all about that young love right? Just the excitement of the initial combustion, right? Every movie is all that they met, and it's like, they had sex, amazing, and the movie ends, right? They met, they got married, it all ends. But that's just, that's just a preamble to what God really has for you. I'm telling you, uh, and wine's like that. You know, the average bottle of wine is consumed within 24 hours of being purchased in our country. 90% of all wine purchased in the United States of America is drank within 24 hours because we only buy it when we want to drink it that day. We have no mind for the future. But wine happens to be one of those things that just gets better with time. That's why there are 1845 bottles of wine out there. Go to Paris, there's an old cellar. They had an 1811, but one of the, one of the guys that worked there dropped it. You know, that guy is fired. Right? <laughs> you drop an 1811 bottle of Bordeaux. Homie, you are looking for a new job, and don't even put them down as a reference. Right? <laughs> Captain Butterfingers over here. But that, that wine is, is, just gets better and just gets better and just gets better. And that's what God truly intends in your relationship. I love, I love the, the first couple of years of Jenny. I love our court. I love the dating. And it's all amazing. But, but what we have now in the bank, what we've now walked through, I tell Jenny all the time, honey, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I'm just telling you right now, I, I, I wouldn't give for, for what we have together, for the way we bled together for the tears we've shed together, and to continue to worship God. Jenny doesn't complete me, and I don't complete her, but we both have a Savior we're pursuing with our whole hearts. And to get to do that with this partner, and I cannot wait to be grandparents with her. I've already picked out, I'm gonna, my grandkids are calling me G-Daddy. I decided already, That's, I, and I'm, I'm like fantasizing about it. I can't wait. I hope you get a picture longer than just your life. It's amazing to to be attracted to someone. But 30, 40, 50 years into your marriage, to stay true to those vows, to still keep serving, to to keep showing up, that's a whole lot different than just what the world's chasing after. He's hot. So is hell. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be something more. Integrity and wisdom and faithfulness and long-suffering and kindness and generosity. This stuff just gets better with time. And so we believe for the day when we will see something consequential released in our home. That's the last C word, consequential. You'll notice he says, you will get to see the the, the days of your children's children and believe for that peace to ring out beyond even that. There is a tree on this planet that is the oldest tree on earth. And do you know where it is? Bethlehem. Here's a photo of it. It's nicknamed the big one or the great one. It is believed to be as many as four to 5,000 years old. That means that when David was on this earth, that tree was there. It's possible that Abraham passed right by this tree. That means as Jesus was being born and the angels were singing out glory to God in the night sky, that tree was there. And your little kids, your children, the fruit of your home are olive plants. That is to say, there is endless legacy released when the home is approached the way that God intends for it to be. So don't you dare ever say, I'm just a dad, or I'm just a mom, or I'm just doing this. You are doing kingdom work. You are doing eternal work. And long after you're in heaven, as you focus and prioritize like you're supposed to be on your soul first, your spouse next, your children after that, and then watching God do something the world will look at with longing and want to be a part of and want to know what makes you so different. And you will watch God unleash something through you bigger than you, for our God is faithful to keep his covenant for a 1,000 generations. Amen? Now, the first time my wife and I went to Napa, Jenny said to the guy giving us a tour of the vineyard, why is there a rose bush at the end of every single vine? And I was so confused, I hadn't even paid attention. But she was observant, and he goes, good eye. The rose is more susceptible to disease than the vine is. So we plant a rose bush at the head of every row because it stands guard. It stands vigilant. It says to the, to the husbandmen, if you see disease on me, act quickly and you can save the vine. I hope you see where I'm going with this because Jesus in Song of Solomon says, I am the rose of Sharon. I'm telling you something. He is the rose who stands guard over your vine. He is the rose who stands guard over your home. So we're not looking and saying, I'm just going to be a better husband. I'm just going to be a better wife. I'm just going to be a better parent. We're looking to him saying, I took your disease upon you me. I took your sin upon me. I took your shame upon me. So now you can be healed because I was diseased for you. And so, Father, we thank you that you sent your son